Welcome to the Social Learning Amplified podcast, the podcast that brings us candid conversations with educators who are finding new ways to engage and motivate their students inside and outside the classroom. Each episode of Social Learning Amplified will give you real-life examples and practical strategies you can put into practice in your own courses. Let's meet today's guest. Welcome to Social Learning Amplified. I'm your host, Eric Mazur, and our guest on the episode today is Dr. Virginia clinton Lizelle. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. Dr. Virginia clinton Lizelle began her career in education as an ESL teacher in New York City. She then obtained her PhD in educational psychology with a minor in cognitive science at the University of Minnesota. She is an associate professor in educational foundation and research at the University of North Dakota. And Rose Isabella Kelly Fisher, endowed professor, a distinction she received in recognition of her excellence in teaching and research. Her current research focuses on the psychology of reading comprehension and open education. She's published over 50 articles in education research and teaches courses in education research, program evaluation, and psychological foundations of education. I'd like to highlight one article that came out earlier this year in the journal Research in Learning Technology, and that immediately caught my attention because of its title. The article is entitled Social Annotation what are students' perceptions, and how does social annotation relate to grades? The, the research was carried out using perusal and concludes, I'm, I'm quoting here, that students reported higher motivation levels for social annotation than quizzes, and that yeah. social annotations are positively correlated with course grade. That's music to the ear of any <laughs> instructor. Yeah. <laughs> so. To start us off here, what got you interested in using perusal? Yes. So, you know, I've been involved in open education for a while and I um, had heard that social annotation was a good use of open educational resources, you know, because they, they're very flexible in terms of their licensing. So they work well on platforms such as perusal. And like many instructors, uh, my students, especially my undergraduate child development students, um, don't necessarily do the reading before class, but if they don't do the reading, then it's just, there's so much breadth in the field. We just cannot cover everything. Um, and then that also slows down class time and prevents time for like, active learning and discussion and all those good things that we know are helpful for student learning. And I, I find that oftentimes that there's a lot of lecture just because it's like there's so much to cover and this is the fastest way to do it and that's not what i want to do i know that's not the best way to learn so i was curious um if perusal was a good alternative to pre-class quizzes you know because i had been doing quizzes um and i'd done a study using quizzes and i hadn't really found that it helped with student learning at all um but i so I was, I was very much eager to test out alternatives. And then I heard about perusal. So looked into it. I tested it out with a different class and uh, 
then decided to try it in my face-to-face -face course. I was aware that there had been quite a bit of research done, or at least, you know, considering how new the tool was, there was a fair amount of articles published. I knew there was a good amount of articles in online contexts. I actually am a co-author on one that came out last year in the Scholarship of Teaching and Learning and Psychology, where we found students had positive perceptions of perusal. They liked social annotations. They found it was a way to connect with other students um, and engage with the material. And I was curious how this would work in a face-to-face -face class. Uh, especially, you know, I hate to blame COVID for everything, but I have noticed just students are learning how to student again, how to be on campus, how to do things, how to interact, how to work in groups. And a lot of them are reporting a lot of um, anxiety and loneliness and depression. So I was thinking this might be a way to help my students connect better than quizzes, which you almost always do a quiz alone. Um, so I had it set up so it was the same groups that they had for a group project in the class. So that this would be a group of students that they could get to know both. In and, and how large are those groups? Uh, the class had about 45 students, and I had 41 students complete the survey. Oh, the groups, I'm sorry. The groups, the groups the, yes. Within Peruzzo, uh, five to six students. Five to six, okay. Yes, yes. And uh, what I found interesting was uh, when I had my course evaluations and then as well as the survey, the most common constructive feedback I had about the use of Peruzzo in the class was they wanted bigger groups. They actually said that they wanted to be able to read more of their peers' comments. So that seemed like a pretty telling data point to me, so to speak. You know, our student comment to me that it wasn't like, oh, I hate this, this is awful, this is so tedious, why can't I just do a multiple choice quiz instead? But it was actually saying, I wish I could hear more. Have theory. you changed the group size? As a I have. I have made the groups bigger since then. So now they're about 10 students. I see. Yeah. So, I mean, what you've said so far, and I'm sorry if I'm interrupting you, but, but our, there's so many questions coming up in my mind. Yes. I mean, I, you know, as you know, I flipped my approach to teaching over 30 years ago uh, when I started you know, implementing peer instruction. Mm -hmm. And I went through many different methods of trying to motivate my, my students to do the teaching. And I came to a similar conclusion in yours that quizzes, and I, I abandoned quizzes. It, between perusal and quizzes came something called just-in-time teaching. Um, but I abandoned quizzes in favor of just-in-time teaching okay. um, exactly for the same reason as you said, they didn't work. Why, but in your case, why do you think they didn't work? And in what way didn't they okay. work? Okay, so um, now I'm, I'm trying to remember this. It was a study I did like back in 2015, <laughs> to be honest. I, in that particular study, um, I either had students answer 10 multiple choice quiz, quiz questions or five multiple choice quiz questions, and then write a brief reflection on what they, how they learned the content for the quiz. Um, and I didn't find 
any differences at all. I in see. Even quizzes, the longer quizzes. Even was that reflection added? Yeah. Yeah, I didn't have a no quiz group, which was a common critique of my study, but I, it's it was just a practical matter that the, in scholarship of teaching and learning, yeah. your research design is dependent on your teaching load. And I had yeah. two intro to psych courses that I was comparing. I am okay. currently uh, doing a more complex research design analysis in my child development class. This uh, this relates to something I uh, had mentioned that I wanted to talk about later, but I'll just jump ahead now because I'm excited about it. Um, it says the same class as last year. It's bigger this year. I have almost 70 students. And for the chapters up until the first exam, there were no quizzes or no perusal. They were told to do the reading, but there was no way that they were held responsible for the reading. So the odds are based on human nature <laughs> and the data we have about student reading is they probably didn't do the reading. Then for the chapters from exam one to exam two, half of them took quizzes, multiple choice questions online, and the other half did perusal. And then now we're on the third unit, which is the chapters from exam two to exam three, and they've switched. So by the end of the term, everyone will have a control data point, which is exam one with no quizzes, no perusal. And then I'll be able to do a uh, within subjects crossed comparison because I can compare the same students taking the quiz with taking perusal from exam two to exam three. I can also compare between because half of them had a quiz and half of them had perusal for certain exams. So that I'm hoping will give me a, a more robust analysis uh, as far as grades. So I'm excited yeah. to see what happens there. Uh, my yes. hunch is based on engagement measures and the comments I'm seeing in perusal and just that it seems to be promoting active reading that we'll see better grades with the perusal than with the quizzes. But well, the data will be what the data will be. They'll be informative regardless. Of course. Well, that's just wonderful. So. Let me tell you, in, in my case, what I concluded from comparing um, just-in-time teaching, which predates perusal, with uh, quizzes was that when students read and they know they'll have a quiz, they read to pass the quiz. In other words, they start mm -hmm. to reverse engineer in their mind, what could the instructor ask me about this material and you know so they don't really read for understanding they read for passing whatever the the hurdle right. is right you know so it, it becomes much more of an extrinsic motivation to reading than an intrinsic motivation to reading yeah. and one of the other things that struck me about um the article that i that i mentioned at the beginning was that you disabled the grading the automated okay. grading and perusal. I, I have not had the guts to do that in my own uh, class. Um, so, because that means, that means that your students are reading not so much because of a stick, but much more because of other more intrinsic benefits of the reading. Yes. Um, how do you explain that? And are, are the students that, that are taking your course, are they taking it 
as an elective or is it a requirement for future courses? How are they generally motivated to studying and learning? Yeah. Well, it's a combination of the uh, motivations for my students. So it's it's child development. Some of them, it's you know, they have future goals, or it's personally relevant that they'll be teachers, or that they'll be parents, or social workers, or somehow work with children. So they are motivated based on their future goals and personal relevance to learn about children. There's also the fact that this is required for elementary education and, and um, early childhood education, and as well as for music education, physical education. Some of the secondary education majors require it, some don't. Um, also, it's an essential study, so students can meet their social studies requirement by taking this course, but there's a lot of courses that meet this requirement, so if they happen to pick this particular one, it's because they have some kind of interest in child development. Um, I've, I've had students in, say, air traffic control programs that uh, one student told me, he said, yeah, I'm taking this because my mom told me to. <laughs> he said, <laughs> he said, she told me, you know, like, you know, you're probably going to be a dad someday. You should learn about kids while you can in college, and this could help you out. So that's a reason. I've also had students who are parents and they they want to know more like now about how to take care of their children or how to best provide um environments and support for them so those those are all different motivations for my students to be in there um as far as disabling the grading uh i have perusals of very very low stakes assignment point wise it's it's not intended to be a real burden it's it's enough points where students have some external incentive to do the work, but I have uh, found that if I if I give just very vague guidelines of write at least six comments, that actually has been effective as a low stakes way of uh, holding them responsible to doing the reading. Uh, then on my end, what I find interesting as an educator is I can see how much they actually read and how long they were on the that particular assignment or that particular chapter. So I find those metrics fascinating. Uh, and now that I think about it, maybe I should let my students know I can see that. I don't think I've ever told them that I can, but it's never been something I've hidden from them either. I didn't want them to know. But um, but being a reading researcher by training, that is something I find intriguing. And that's that's a big reason why I looked at active reading time uh, as a key variable in the study and found that um, those annotations and doing those annotations seemed to increase active reading time, which then bolstered their course grade. So there was this very nice cycle where they were doing the comments, the comments got them to read more and reading more helped them uh, with their with their understanding is what that pattern would imply. That, that, of course, is a very important finding, and I want to come back to you know, oh, the yeah. correlation between, between uh, annotation and grading. 
um, in just a second. But first, I, I, I want to come back again between to, to sort of you know motivating the students mm -hmm. uh, because I think that is that is always a question that yes. is you yes. know on the front in front yeah. of the minds of of instructors. Right? How do I motivate my students? Yeah. So so. Um, so do you have, you said, you said low stakes, but yeah. low stakes is different from no stakes, right? right? So low stakes is, there is different any, from no so, stakes. So this does yeah. definitely could make, you know, if you were on the edge of a grade, it definitely could make a difference. And then we're talking about six different chapters that they read. So it, it adds up to about half of an exam worth of points. So it's enough points to make it worth I yeah, see. if they're only doing it for the points, it's uh... so. But then, but then, how do you assign? If you turn the grading off mm -hmm. in perusal, how do you assign those points? I uh, manually go through. There is a grade button on the assignment, and it tells oh, me okay. student and how okay. many comments they made. Um, and that's also where I can see percent of the assignment read and number of minutes active reading. Uh, and another data point I always find intriguing: how many times they opened the assignment i see yes so, okay so so i understand in one, so I, yeah so so i misinterpreted um the the comment in in the paper i thought yeah. that you had not assigned any grading but essentially oh, you no, grade manually no. rather than using mm -hmm. the auto grading in right in, in right so, and well i'd be curious to know Oh, I'm sorry. You know, in a future year, in a future year, you you might want to try the auto grading because <laughs> I, you know, I teach 160 students and it would be impossible yeah, to do yeah. it manually. But even oh, I think course, with, well, you mentioned 60, 70 students, that's a lot too. I, I understand now. So how do you, because I think this is another thing that many instructors are often struggling with, is how do you position perusal for the students what what do you tell them about it and how do you at the beginning of your semester motivate the students to um a participate in it actively but maybe much more importantly to actually participate in it meaningfully right rather right. than just having it be busy work to actually mm -hmm. really engage in meaningful discussions with their peers how, how do you do that well it depends on the class how i how i frame it um i will say one thing i do that i would hope is somewhat motivating is i do go through and i answer all the questions they post uh, or if their peer answered them, I clarify, yes, so-and-so is correct. That is the answer to that. Or um, actually it's, you know, you're, you're on the right track, but it's this. And uh, I think students like getting that feedback. I've heard that that is something that they commented on, that they enjoyed hearing um, my, or not hearing, but reading my replies to their questions because it sh showed a dedication to their learning on my part and it also made the whole process of reading more interpersonal as opposed to solitary and and uh less interesting so to speak um i will say for the courses where i've conducted studies i don't say anything super positive about perusal or anything where I try to uh, talk about the benefits or the, how to make sure the comments are meaningful for their own good. 
the reason why I don't is because I don't want to skew my own study data. I want to see how they perceive perusal without me giving them a pep right. talk. No, of course. About it. Of course. <laughs> um, I, I have uh, told students where I'm not doing a study, I'm like, oh, but I, just, you know, I have done these studies and the reason why I use perusal is because these are the findings that we've we've gotten from them. Students seem to respond to that pretty well. They, they actually find it reassuring that I care enough to do a study on the topic uh, and see what they think as, and use that feedback in planning out my courses. Um, so may I may I ask some may I ask something? Um, so you you said something that that you actually go back and answer the students' mm -hmm. questions. It seems that people are using perusal fall into two camps: those where the instructor is actively engaged in the discussion in the class, and those I'm I'm one among them, where you know the discussion remains completely between the students and the interaction mm -hmm. with the instructor takes place in the classroom. Um, so in your case, where you answer students' questions, to what extent do you find that even though you answer questions, other students also answer each other's questions? With my gradual courses, they're much more likely to answer each other's questions. I think they're just more confident at, at that stage. Uh, and so it's usually me chiming in, yes, that's right. <laughs> Rather than actually answering the questions. Um, I use the filter in perusal with my larger classes, so I only see their questions. So there still is purely student to student interaction on the comments that they make to each other. So it's Although I will say the reason why I do that is just otherwise it's just overwhelming to see all of those comments on the of page. Course. Of and course. I've of course. also found that is a reason to have groups be a little bit bigger because if I have say 10 different groups, students where there's a confusing part, they'll have the same question 10 times, you know, from each group somebody posted. And I need to, because they can only see what's posted in the group. I need to go in and answer each individual question. Multiple um, times. I also find it very helpful for my teaching because if I'm going through that and we'd already covered the content in class and I see that my students are clearly having misconceptions or they're just really curious about a topic that I didn't was that important to cover or didn't make the cut, so to speak, to be covered in my class as opposed to only in the book, uh, I'll use that information to adjust my teaching and say, right. I'm going to go back and talk about that in class on Monday and let me know if you have more questions after we yeah. go over that in class again. You know, that was well, that was probably one of the most eye-opening experiences for me when we were developing Perusal, which wasn't called Perusal then. And it was sort of a platform that we used in my class. And it, I, I sort of realized that it provided me a window into the brains of my students. I could sort of see what was going on, which something that would otherwise not be uh, not be visible to the instructor. Yeah. Yeah. So let's, uh, you know, since time is ticking and we have limited yeah. time unfortunately together here um let me let me come back to the point of student in class performance mm -hmm. correlating to perusal because i think that's such an important finding 
and um, I, I'm, I'm so happy to see that validated by your research. So maybe you can tell our listeners a little bit more about the correlation you found. Yes. So I looked at a number of the perusal metrics, so active reading, not just how long they had it open, but how long were they actively moving around on the page, uh, how many annotations, the number of words in the annotations. And uh, I was interested in those variables that related to the course grades. Uh, for the course grades, I subtracted out the perusal points <laughs> because it's a little redundant. Uh, so that's their grade on everything in the course minus those perusal assignments. Right. And what I found was that active reading really seemed to be a big, important variable where if you looked at, I'm just double checking now, what was that? Uh, the number of annotations and the average number of words in an annotation. So it's basically the more annotations they wrote and the more they wrote in the annotation, the more they were actively reading and the better they did on their grade. Now, correlation is not causation. This is very exploratory, just looking at, at patterns in the data. Because, uh, you know, of course, it could be that the better students were the ones who were just more app to make comments and make longer comments. Uh, but that is something that I think is, is worth exploring or at least telling students about in the future when I teach and just say, I found that the more students use this tool, the better they do in the class. So I was just going least, to suggest that actually. <laughs> right. It can't hurt. You're not going to have harm caused by reading the textbook better. <laughs> yeah. So then, thank you. That, that is really absolutely wonderful. So let's then conclude with one, one final question. How, how have your colleagues, um, you know, reacted to your work in perusal? And um, I'm sure you have many colleagues who haven't yet heard about perusal. What, what would you tell them about perusal? What would your recommendations be? Yeah, I, I have recommended it uh, to multiple colleagues. I've said I'm not usually somebody who says, you've got to try this new EdTech tool. Uh, it is really user-friendly and all that. Uh, that's not normally me. Normally I'm like, oh, another EdTech tool. Like, why can't, just, why can't they just make the ones we have better? Uh, but... I, I have told them, and I've told them about the studies they've done. You know, I post the studies on social media, and I've done a couple of TikToks related to perusal and how it's worked in my class. And they're kind of like, oh, I never thought about that. And especially for my, my colleagues who teach face-to-face, -face, they haven't thought about using it that way. Um, I did just talk to a colleague of mine who's a history of education scholar, and, you know, she was saying, you know, discussion boards just feel very, like, forced and stale. And, you know, I commented, I'm like, have you looked into perusal? Because that might work really well, especially when you're talking about historical documents and primary sources where the students could be commenting on different things they notice. And she sounded really excited about the idea and considering it going forward. So uh, I would say 
the the one thing too there's several of my peers at my institution did not realize our institution has a license for perusal because I was giving a workshop on a variety of pedagogical techniques where students work can be shared with others. Uh, this is known as renewable assignments. And I said, one of the quick and easiest ways to implement this into your class is to use social annotation on your course materials. And this allows students to engage with it. They get to share their thoughts with others. Their work is read or noticed by others. And it also empowers students because they're put in a position to speak back to the materials. They're told to, to uh, that they don't just need to take the material, that they are also have uh, input to give. And they'll say, yeah, but UND doesn't have perus. I'm like, yes, yes, it does. <laughs> it is in there. It is, it's buried in, I think, unfortunately, with our various tools. So um, I, I had heard about social annotation a while ago through the open education community. And I basically contacted University Technology, and they were the ones that told me where it was and how to find it. I see. Yeah. I, I really want to thank everybody for listening, but especially thank you. Yeah, um, thank you so much for having me on. Thank you for joining. Thank you for the really interesting work you did on, uh, on perusal, um, which sort of affirms some of my, my own beliefs, but it's wonderful to see that validated uh, by somebody. So thank you. Yes, yes. It's always nice when data lines up with how you think uh, an intervention works or might work. Indeed, so, yes. indeed, yes. indeed. Well, um, to our listeners, you can find our podcasts and more on perusal.com slash social learning amplified, one word. Thank you. Thank you. Social Learning Amplified is sponsored by Perusal, the social learning platform that motivates students by increasing engagement, driving collaboration, and building community through your favorite course content. To learn more, join us at one of our introductory webinars. Visit perusal.com to learn more and register.